This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. That's real. The needle tears a hole. The old familiar stink. Try to kill it all away. But I remember everything. This is one of the most haunting and heart-wrenching songs recorded in uh, music history. The great music legend Johnny Cash. He sang about man. A man who inflicts pain on himself. For that was the only way the person could express his void and his emotional agony through the physical pain of a needle once again tearing a hole on his arm. But yet even with the familiar thing on the arm, flashbacks of all the painful familiar memories continues to haunt the man. For no drugs, no pain could remove the hurts from one's past Pains, sufferings, regrets. Friends, these are familiar things in the human experience. Now, dear friends, last week we learned in our first leg of our original purpose that when God made humankind, we were meant to have perfect relationship with God. We are meant to have perfect relationship with each other and the world. We are meant to live forever. We are meant to experience perfect authority and care, God to us and us to creation. But friends, can I invite you to look around our world? Do you see that today? That's not our experience today, is it? Why can life never be perfect? As you and I, we slow down and survey our world just for a moment, we see a paradoxical world that we live in. On one hand, life can be so rich and beautiful, but on the other hand, so ugly and horrid. On one hand, we humans, we create so much with our three-pound brain, but with that same brain, we have the potential to destroy everything. And how can relationship between humans produce so much love but can cause unimaginable and unbearable pain? Why does the best days always have to end? And the best marriage with pain when one spouse dies before the other? Dear friends, welcome back to our second leg of Life in Four Meals. And today we'll deal with the questions, why is, so, why is life so messy and what happened to the original purpose? My name is Andrew and I'm very thankful that you're here thinking about these questions together. Now to, ans- to answer the questions that we just posed, why is life so messy and what happened to our original purpose? I would like to invite you to join me back into the Bible, to hear from the Bible what it has to say. Now just a quick flashback from last week in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, for some of us who were not here, after God had created mankind in his own image, he placed the man he created and the woman in a perfect garden called the Garden of Eden to take care of and to enjoy. They had a free reign of a perfect garden to start off. Perfect. 
They could eat from any tree there. Everything are theirs. There's only one reservation God gave, and because He is God, He gave one reservation that the man and the woman must not eat from just one tree. Just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For He says, when you eat of it, you will surely die. Because you are not God. Apart from that one tree, the man and the woman had authority over everything. But as we arrive today in chapter 3 of Genesis, the third chapter of the whole Bible, we pick up on a very unusual narrative that Jeremy read for us. A creature comes in, and this creature comes in to tempt humankind. Can I invite you to look at Genesis 3, verse 1, as in your bulletin? This is what it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. When it comes, in comes the serpent, the craftiest of creatures. The serpent slides into the garden, spotted the woman, and began to have a conversation with her. It goes like this, the conversation. The serpent said to the woman, Did God really say? Those are the first words. Now, now this crafty serpent, he came with the intention of seducing or tempting the woman. But instead of pointing to that one forbidden tree, he cast his net to all the trees, and this is what he says, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent begins by questioning the generosity and the goodness of God, that God is perhaps not sharing good stuff with you. To which the woman replied, Well, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from, must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And as the woman spoke, her eyes and focus start to turn from all that God has given, and then she start to narrow in on that one tree. As the serpent looked at her staring at a tree, it continued in verse 4, it says, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So as the woman, she lets her gaze rest on that one tree that God has forbidden, that one tree that represents the dependent and obedient relationship that humans have with God, that one tree that separates them. The serpent slithers in and whispers in the woman's ear, Liar! God is a liar. You will not surely die. How can a good God kill you? Perhaps God is selfishly reserving the tree for himself, for he knows that if you eat from the tree, you will not just be a mere image bearer of God. You will be God. You will be able to decide what is good and bad on your own terms. Eat the fruit and you will never need to take instructions from God again. Now, as we, as we listen into the conversation, we should not be too caught up with what kind of fruit tree it was. And you can be quite sure it's not an apple tree, so go ahead and eat your apples. The pictures that you see all the time, they are wrong. But neither should we be too caught up with how a serpent from Disneyland could actually come in to speak. Because the focus 
of the chapter is not so much on the magical property of the fruit, nor even who exactly is the serpent, though the last book of the Bible did suggest perhaps there is more to it. But rather the focus here on this chapter of Genesis 3, it is really focusing on the relationship between God and humans. And this relationship has been put to challenge. As the image barrier of God, we learned last week, humans are intended to flourish, we are intended to be perfect by perfectly depending on God. Just imagine with me a beautiful budding flower in this huge tree that the link between the flower to flourish is tied closely to the giver of life that produces it and sustains it. That was how we are meant to be. But as we look around our world, we can make a guess what the decision the man and the woman made on that day. Let me read what happened verse 6. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now dear friends, this didn't just happen in that one event that is so long ago. The same seductive line of the serpent continues today. You hear it and I hear it whispering in to us, the little voice that says, did God really say you can't do this? Or we'll die? Gosh, God is such a joy killer. Now what harm is it to ignore this God for just this one time? So that we can do what we want, because we know what is good. We're the mature audience. Surely a little harmless flirting with a colleague, a little boasting, a little bit of greed, a little pornography, anger, envy, gluttony, a little bit of self-righteousness. They are not set so serious, are they? No, after all, we know what is good and evil. In fact, the saying goes, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is tasty. Now, what is forbidden is delicious. So why can't we just indulge in what we want and just shut the voice that says you shouldn't? A little self-centered pleasure, a little boasting of us being better than someone else. And we know better than God. Now this is well depicted in the Magnum ice cream. Anybody loves Magnum ice creams? Yeah, they're always on sale. Now it doesn't have this advertisement. It doesn't put out advertisement that says, Warning, sugar overload, weight gain ahead, cavities, increased level of blood, triglycerides, or sit, try like, sir, yeah, there you go. Yeah, unhealthy fats. No, the advertisement doesn't go like that. Instead, it's advertisement splashes words like that. It says, unlock temptation. Seven daily sins, give in to it. Savor all the different flavors. And friends, guess what? The advertisement works. By play of words, temptation and sins, we start to look at the ice cream and see that well, it's good for food. It's pleasing to my eyes. Well, also a little bit naughty. We'll take some to eat and also give some to our loved ones who are with us and he or she will start to eat it. We'll start to think that the junk is not that harmful. But we are sorely deceived 
if we ever understand sin by the definition we hear with our ears around the world. Because sin is not just a little bit of self-indulgence. In the Bible, sin basically means a rebellion against God. It's not just a little bit of self-indulgence. Its definition is actually rebellion against God. So at the garden in Genesis 3, the problem lies not in how delicious the fruit look. For perhaps the man and woman have walked past the tree for a million times before the snake came in. It was not how tasty the fruit looked. The problem on that day is what it means to eat the fruit. And at the heart of their decision to eat for the man and woman is their declaration of independence from God and their rebellion against God. It is a declaration of self-governance, deciding that individually we will say what is good and we will say what is evil, to be able to be our own gods. And guess what? It worked. That day, as the woman stared at it and with her freedom went against God's command, she reached out the forbidden fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband. Suddenly their eyes did open. Their eyes opened and they could no longer see the world as God meant it to be. They saw their own nakedness. They found the immediate need to cover themselves. And so the first thing they did was verse 7. Look at it. This is what they did. Um, they, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, sin is fundamentally a rebellion against God himself and wanting to take his place to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil for us. Last week, this is what we learned in the beginning. The man and the woman, they could be trusting to each other. They could be loving. They can relate perfectly. That's what we all want, isn't it? And that's what they had. They had perfect relationship with each other and they could be perfectly honest with each other. But now they see threats all around them. They need to hide what they have done. The secrets begin to develop between humans. They need to hide what they have done and to prevent being hurt. And as humans, we become our own arbiters, our own deciders of good and evil. We begin to see others as potential dangers to us. But for the first time, these two humans they stood lonely in the garden. Now, their rebellion against God has caused an alienation between them and God. Their insurrection to be self-governing has also alienated them from each other, even though they were literally standing next to them, to each other. Look, look at what happens in verse 8 to 13. This is what happened in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they ran towards no, they they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Just pause and take a look at the verse eight with me and see if you recognize the painful change of relationships. Just take a look at verse eight for a moment. Because this is what happens in the past. The man and woman, they walk with God in the garden, but now they hide from God. In the past, they enjoyed and knew God only as a perfect and loving creator 
who has given them everything. But now for the first time, they also recognize he is a holy judge. Just think of a story with me. There's this little girl that used to enjoy the company of her dad. Her dad loves her and she, she enjoys everything. The servants dotes on her. She gets to run into the office and do uh, the office of the father and do what she likes. No issues. But the dad always warns her, watch out for the law. Do not do this thing. But one day she decides what's there to worry about. Everyone loves my dad. And she commits a serious crime against the law. In that moment, suddenly that, that girl, her eyes open, she realized she could no longer enjoy the companionship she had with her dad. She could no longer see the smiles of those who are serving with his father. Because for that one day, when she did that and she realized, actually her dad was the chief justice of the country. That change of the eyesight was not a good one. And she will have to stand by herself to defend what she's done. And she'll do poorly at that. Because truth will strike her. Now dear friends, this is what happened at the garden and so the first blame game in history began. Would you look at it with me from verse 9 onwards? This is the first blame game in history. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? The man answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It was a rhetorical question. God knows the man had eaten the fruit and the man knew that God knew that he had eaten the fruit. He didn't say, Yes, I did it. But rather, he blamed the woman. Look at verse 12. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and ate it. Actually, God, it's your fault, God. You put the woman here with me, she gave me some fruit. It's her fault, God. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. That woman realized for the first time the man whom she was supposed to have a perfect relationship, whom she would look up to, has turned against her. She turned around, she had to find someone else. So she blamed the serpent. It was the serpent's fault that I ate. Do you see that horrible picture? For the first time, humans learned to blame. They knew what was good for them by their own brains. Now, dear friends, the alienation you and I, we have with God and with each other has not left us ever since that day. Now, in our world, when things go wrong, we tend to find someone else or something else to blame. Do we see that? Now, in our law court, we read of law cases that take years just to find out which of the two are speaking the truth. We hear the blame game in our everyday lives. No, I was, I'm like that because my husband was unreasonable. I'm not a nasty person. It was my son. It was my sibling that made me nasty. She did it first. God made me this way. How can you blame me for who I am today? Dear friends, why is life so messy? Why is life so messy? 
Well, it begins when human wanted to be God. Everyone choosing to be the arbiter of what is good and evil in our own eyes, and we learn to be careful not to be too trusting of others. Do your parents tell you that when you grow up? Don't be too trusting. They're right, isn't it? Don't be too trusting because people could hurt us when they are trying to seek their own good before ours. I suspect if you are someone who has bought insurance, paying hundreds of thousand dollars every year if you have children, year by year, you will not be someone who who will pay year after year for decades to your insurance company, hoping without a contract that one day when you're in hospital, they will come and bring a bouquet of flowers to take care of you. You will always decide money for document. I'll exchange my money for a legal document that you will do what is right for me. And even with that document, we have plenty of arbitrators who have to decide who is right and who is wrong. Dear friends, in this world that we stand, by our words, by our actions, we reject God as the creator and the giver of good things. No, the world prefers to see God as the joy killer. When we, when we enjoy things, we usually say, um, from a hard work, from parents, it's luck. But when things go wrong, and when we experience hardship, and we run out of people to blame, people always blame God. Now Woody Allen, once he put his rejection of God this way, and many atheists love what he writes. This is what Woody Allen says. He says, if God exists, I hope he has a good excuse. Our world is a mess. It is either because God doesn't exist, or because God is unloving. He doesn't care. I've seen this um, big thing that would this quote by Woody Allen on this big bus when I was in Australia as the atheists drive past. So if God is, exists, I hope he has a good excuse. But the Bible explains why the world is in a mess in a very different way. The reason why life is so messy is because we want God out of the picture. The Bible describes human condition this way. In Romans 1, he says about humans, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we, we turn our backs against God. We don't really want Him to be there when we want to make our decisions. And because of that, the Bible tells us because of Rebellion and now we are alienated from God, the consequence always follows. When you try to burn something, you try to lit a fire, you try to hide it, you never put a piece of paper over it because it never covers. The consequence is this. God said to the woman, verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Then to the man, verse 17, he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Now because of rebellion against God and wanting to be our own gods, we now experience life the way that we experience. It involves pain, work involves toil. Even your favorite job can be spoiled by your colleagues. But there... 
to outdo you. What used to be perfect delights are not just spattered. They are so still delightful. They are enjoyable at times, but they are still spattered with pain, frustrations, and toils. I remember I was working in the in insurance or finance industry for a while, and check it out. If you ever have an insurance agent, this is what they'll say. You have car insurance? Yes. For cars? You have health insurance? Yeah, for, for health. You have holiday travel insurance for? For travel. You have life insurance. For what? For your death. Nobody ever sells you death insurance because no one will buy it. So they say life insurance when you die, sorry, can't help you. We'll give you some money to people that you love. Life is like that. No, and God moved forward with regards to relationship. He said to the woman, listen to this, verse 16. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. No, at first look, the man might say, well, that's not too bad for my wife to have desire for me. Quite desirable, isn't it? Yeah, you wish. The word desire here of the wife has got nothing to do with how good looking you are or how much she admires you. The word desire here refers to possession, wanting control over her husband. Whether it's by words or tears or manipulation, she will want, she'll be tempted to want to have greater control of her husband. And meanwhile, the husband, he says, he will rule and lord over his wife. You know, the strength that the man was given to take care of and to nurture his wife becomes a potential to hurt her, to control her. The perfection is no longer possible in relationships. Even in the best relationships, there will be frictions because frictions will always exist between two self-declared gods. Frictions will always exist when you have two self-declared gods. Now, dear friends, do you experience relational frictions in your life? I have. Perhaps you have. You know, the hurts that others apply to us because their interest is more important than ours. Perhaps you find that at work all the time. Or the hurtful words and actions we inflict on others, on our parents, on our siblings, on our loved ones, on our friends, on strangers. No marriage, those who are married, or those of you who are children and you see marriages, marriage will always have to be hard work. It's never easy. Absolute power is always risky when it's given to only one man in a country. Now, dear friends, just now as we come in, do you enjoy the junk food? My kids were swallowing up like a, a, a giant piranha or something. Uh, do you enjoy the junk foods? You know, the junks that destroy our health and our relationships are always packaged as desirable. They always sprinkle of sugar and colors and great names and great coats, but they always leave a bitter taste. They always leave a bitter consequence. You now, physically, we experience it if you ever overeat junk food. There's this documentary in 2004 called Supersize Me. Um, some of you have seen it. The, the, the show followed the producer called uh, Morgan Spurlock. 
This is what Spurlock does. For 30 days, he eats nothing but McDonald's. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. He makes sure that he has a healthy set of meals. He covers every part of the menu. But only 30 days. As they tracks, this is what happens. After 30 days, he gained 11.1 kg, increased 13% body mass, increase in cholesterol experience, mood swing, sexual dysfunction, fat accumulation in his liver. Took him, takes him after that to try to get rid of things. He took 14 months of strict vegan diet just to survive. And meanwhile, we experience relational, emotional, mental, spiritual destruction or disruptions when we indulge in secret sins, when we are selfish in our acts, in our words, when we experience the effects of broken or strained relationships, isolation, incongruence, regrets in life that drugs and pains cannot remove. These are the consequences that plagues humanity at various points of our life. And I suspect you have as well, at some point, that you do struggle with life, with relationships, with yourself, with the incongruence that you would rather not have in your life. But that's not the end. The greatest consequence of human wanting to be God lies in verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me, would you? God said, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and you hear this so familiar. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. From dust you are, to dust you return. And look with me to verse 22. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us. Knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and, leave, and eat and live forever. So God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Now, without access to God, without access to God, we face the reality of who we really are. And who we are, we are creatures that will die. We're creatures that will die. We are those who can sing for eternity and sing love songs that are meant to last forever, but our body says, too bad. Death laughs at our attempts to think of eternity. Now, dear friends, why is life so messy? The Bible's answer is because we have turned away from God and wants to be our own God and we bear the consequence like a flower tearing itself out from a big tree. Now, shortly after 911 attacks in the New York uh, World Trade Center, anyone remembers that? I realize it's quite a while ago, but it imprints on those who have seen the live TV. Shortly after 911 attacks, Jane Clayson he interviewed the daughter of Billy Graham on the early show, and she had this very pointed question. She asked, How could God let something like this happen? Let me read to you Annie Graham's profound response. This is what she said. I believe God is deeply saddened by this, just as we are. But for years we've been telling God to get out of our schools, to get out of our government, to get out of our lives. 
being the gentleman he is, I believe he has calmly backed out. How can we expect God to give us his blessings and his protection if we demand him to leave us alone? When God leaves us alone, six billion self-declared gods try to rule the world. Why is life so messy? Because each of us, by nature, are our own arbiters of good and evil. You are yours, I am mine. But God, but God didn't list, list this uh, destruction that we have created as the end. We'll hear it next week of God's costly solution to deal with the impossible problem we've created for ourselves. But here's the hint. The hint is found in verse 15, where God said the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. Just a hint. A hint that in the midst of God's judgment and the consequence of what we want, God will send an offspring of the woman to crush evil, but at a great cost. Right, so I'm going to close. Remember the song we just heard at the beginning? The song called Hurt, sung by Johnny Cash. Now, as Cash sang about the harshness of a man who couldn't get rid of the pain, the regrets, he pathetically sang these words. You might have heard it in the beginning of the video. He said this, What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. You know, a few months after Cash finished the music video, June, his sweetest friend, his wife of 30 years, passed on. And so did Cash in the same year. Death comes to everyone on this side of life. You know, my daughter says to me, often before bedtime, she used to say this, she says, can Papa not die too soon? Can Papa not die too soon? On times that she saw me and my wife and she said, I want to have a husband that looks like that. He says, I'd like to invite Papa to my wedding if I get married. You know, I feel a bit flattered. And I pray that I'll be around, but God knows if I could. God knows if I could. Perhaps, perhaps you have asked, you have said these words to someone you love. And if you haven't, perhaps one day you would. You would say to someone that you love and you can't let go. No, I felt the same way just last week um, when I was heading to camp. My my grandmother was in the hospital. She was was 92. And uh, I was so worried when I was heading to camp. And uh, I prayed. And we came back. She was still in the hospital. When I left, she was going to the hospital. When I came back, she was in the hospital. Now she's a bit better. She's heading home, but she's 92. And I dread the day when I can no longer talk to her. Perhaps there will be people that you dread that you can no longer talk to. But the words of cash are hauntingly true. Everyone I know goes away in the end. But thankfully, that song was not the last words of Johnny Cash. In, this last, in his last interview recorded a few weeks before he died, Cash speaks of his faith in God. Is I better forgive myself because God has forgiven me. He places his trust in God. And the same can be said for those who have to face death. 
But what has God done to undo the consequence that we cannot undo? I invite us to come back next week in our third leg of the four meals to answer the question, what is the solution to the impossible mess that humans have created? I hope you can join us next week. But let me close this time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible revealing to us our original purpose and also revealing to us why is life so messy. Because we have turned away from you to be the gods of our own lives. Help us. Help us to observe and, and, and learn from your word what it means to be apart from you. And help us to learn in the coming week what you are willing to do to bring us back. Help us to hear the costly solution you are given so that we would not have the bad consequence any further. Help us to hear that next week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.